some time ago I was uh, I was browsing through Facebook and it's it's I mean I, I'm talking a couple years ago and I came across this post from an old friend of mine from high school and she she's an atheist and she made a post and said this world would be a lot better off if there were no religions. And if I were honest, it, I had a full range of emotions when I read that. Um, part of me got mad. Part of me uh, began to not be judgmental, but my, began to reason and think about, well, man, think about all the good that, that goes on uh, because of Christ. But in her point of view, you think about all the wars that are going on in in the Middle East, and you know, some of the attacks that have happened here in America. And she, in, in her mind, she says the world would just be a lot better off if there really weren't any religions. And I don't know if many of you can kind of wrap your minds around this, but that that's really the modern view of the secularist in our day and time. Those who really are atheists, they say. Well, hey, if you want to believe in God, that's fine. You, you can believe in Him in your own house. You can go to worship at, at, at your church. But just don't talk about God in the public square. And so that, that's really the prevailing view of meaning in, in our culture today. And as I, I sat there and I, I studied that and thought about that, I just kind of left it there. I was like, well, she and I just very much just disagree. But as you read Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, what we get to in Hebrews uh, chapter 8, what you really find is that Jesus came to end all religions. Now, he didn't come just to end the Jewish religion. He didn't come just to be a, a, better, a better way to God than, than what the Jews offered. He didn't come to uh, just kind of to, to give a different religion when God stepped into human flesh and he died upon a cross, every other religion became invalid at that moment. Now keep this in mind. The, the writer of the, of the book of Hebrews, he's writing to a group of people uh, that were struggling in their newfound faith in Christ. There, there were people that, that were being persecuted. There were people that were being ridiculed. And there were people saying, hey, if you'll just go back to your old way, if you'll just go back to your old religion then everything would be fine. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is writing to people saying, hey, don't go back because Jesus is greater than the law. Don't go back because Jesus is greater than Moses who, who, who helped give you the law. Don't go back because Jesus is greater than the angels who helped give you the law. Don't go back because Jesus is, is, is a great high priest. He's the best high priest that you could ever have. And then when you get to... To Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. It's almost like the author of the book of Hebrews says, Hey guys, in case you have not figured this out, and in case you're having like the biggest blind moment in, on the face of the earth, and in case you're just really, really thick-headed and hard-headed and, and you're, uh, you're slow in learning, here's the main idea of what I'm trying to make. You see it in chapter 8 verse 1? And this is the point. And we are what in what we are saying. I mean, he cuts through the nitty gritty. He cuts through the red tape. He just says, "Hey, hey, hey! Here's the point that I'm trying to make." Uh, sometimes I don't know if any of you watch the the elections 
uh, not the elections, but the debates for this past presidential election. Uh, sometimes that, that's what I wish the presidential candidates would do. I wish they would just get up there and, and, and don't talk about the other person. Don't, don't talk about what you did in the past. Uh, just get to the main idea and tell me what you believe in. That didn't happen, but anyway. And so the main point of what God is saying here in, in this text is that we have a high priest. Now you see it in chapter 8, verse 1. You have a high priest who is seated. Y'all see that word in chapter 8, verse 1? He is seated. When God says that our high priest is seated, here's what you need to think. Jesus ended every religion. When a high priest sits down, that is saying something. It's important because he's saying the sacrifices that a high priest would make, you no longer have to make those sacrifices anymore. When a high priest sits down, it's it's signifying that his work is over. When he sits down, it is signifying that God the Father accepts this supreme sacrifice as being the best sacrifice. And so when the high priest sat down, when Jesus, who is our high priest, sits down, he ends every other religion. It says his work is over. There's nothing else to sacrifice. I mean, think about it. When Jesus sacrificed himself, why would you want to make any other sacrifice, Sam? I mean, this is the very best sacrifice that anybody could, could, could ever make. I mean, it's kind of, like, kind of like me with Leanne. Why would I want any other wife when I have the best one that's out there? Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Right? Why, why would you try to get something else when you have the best thing there? And so he sat down. His work was done. Judaism, every other religion on the place of the earth, useless at this point. Now, I want you to think through this with me for just a moment. Every religion on earth has two things in common. First of all, every religion says this. Every religion says that there is an ultimate reality beyond the present world in which you live. Think about that. Every religion, I mean, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Islam, Put whatever religion you want to, every religion says there is an ultimate reality. There, there is another kingdom. There is another world beyond what you see here on this physical earth. Even, even the secularists and the, and the atheists have a version of this. They would say that this, what we see, what we, what we smell, what we feel, this is the ultimate reality, the only reality that there is. Okay, so you're with me. This is what every religion says. But now secondly, every religion says there is a gap between our present world and that ultimate reality. Now, again, I'm just trying to make sure you understand this about seculars too. They would say that the gap is really religion. They would say that faith and God are the, the, is the gap that keeps people like you and I from seeing this ultimate reality. And they would say if you want to bridge that gap, you have to do that through science. And religion. I mean, science and reason. And so, you with me? Every religion, there, there's a gap between what you see and an ultimate reality. Or there is an ultimate reality, and then there's a gap. Now, here's where the waters get murky. Every religion has a different way in which you bridge that gap. Right? Every religion has a different way. In Islam, you, you just, you know, you've really got to be, be faithful to, uh, to Muhammad and Allah. And Buddhism, you got to follow this, this eightfold path and, and all of these different things. And, and so, but Christianity is very different. Christianity is the only one that says, hey, believe in Jesus and quit being so religious. We don't have a religion. We have a person 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to stay with me. Just give me five minutes of your undivided attention. I know it's a little different today with, with all of the kids in here, uh, but I want you to see how Jesus Christ is so different than, than any other religion. Now, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is both a priest and he is a king. In the Old Testament, you could never have both a priest and a king occupied by the same person. In fact, when, when the children of Israel received their first king and King Saul, he lost his kingdom because he tried to do the work of a priest. A priest and a king in the Old Testament could not occupy the same office. And there was only one person, and he's mentioned very briefly in Genesis 14 and in Psalm 110, and then he's mentioned again here in the book of Hebrews, that there was only this one obscure person in the name of Melchizedek that occupied both a, as a priest and a king. As a priest, he, he made sacrifices to the Lord, but he was also a king. Abraham met him when he had gone to rescue Lot, and when he came back, he gave a tenth, a tenth of everything he had to this priest king in the order, or a priest king called Melchizedek. And the, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus comes to us not in the, in the lineage of Levi, who was the Levitical priest on earth through uh, the nation, the, the line of Aaron, but he comes through us in the line of Melchizedek. Well, why is that important? Well, because that means that Jesus can be both our king and he can be our priest. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the one thing that you have to have if you're going to be a king? It's not rocket science, Phil. You have to be. You have to have a kingdom, right? If you don't have a kingdom, you're not a king. As our king, Jesus really is that ultimate reality. Remember what we said about religion? There's an ultimate reality behind what we see. As our king, Jesus is the king over that kingdom. That is that ultimate reality behind what we see. And then, as our high priest, Jesus is the bridge over that gap between us and his kingdom. He is both the ultimate reality and the bridge over the gap. Every other religion says, this is what you do to get to this reality. But followers of Christ, we say, we have Jesus. And he said, you cannot get to me without me coming to get you and taking you to where I am. So see this. We don't have a religion. We have a God named Jesus that came to take us to that reality because we were not good enough to get to him when, when in our, or in our own power. So when he came, here's what he said. There's no other way. Uh, there's, there's no other way you could get to me except through me. Therefore, ending all religion. Well, that leaves us with the question. If we don't have religion, what do we have? We have a covenant relationship. Drastically different than, than having a religion. We have a covenant relationship. Look with me, verse uh, 5 and 6. Now these priests, uh, they serve a copy. The priests in the Old Testament, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ, verse 6, has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better 
promises. Covenant. Now, we live in a society where we don't make covenants very often, right? You, you, don't, you just don't see that in everyday language. And so it's, it's hard for us to try to understand and wrap our minds around what a covenant is. Now, sometimes we like to think of it, the best way we like to think about a covenant is uh, if you make maybe a contract with somebody else. But a contract really doesn't do a covenant full justice. If you've ever purchased a home or, or bought a vehicle where you had to take out a loan, you signed a contract, right? And as long as everything is okay, as long as you make your, your payments on time, everything between you and the one you took out that loan with, everything's really hunky-dory, right? They don't have a problem with you. But now what happens if you quit sending in your payments? They're going to let you know real quick that everything's not fine between you, you and them anymore, right? That, that's what a contract is. It's, it doesn't have any bit of intimacy in it whatsoever. It's just based strictly upon something like this. If you do what you say you're going to do, I'll do what I say I'm going to do. Do you see how selfish that is? In other words, many times, even in our marriages, we think about our marriages rather as contracts rather than covenants, and we say, hey, as long as you treat me well, I'm going to treat you well. Well, what's the, what's the common denominator that you're doing there? As long as you meet my needs, as long as, as, long as, as long as I'm getting what I want, then I can give back what you want you see the selfishness in that uh, and eventually here's what's going to happen and that relationship is going to go grow cold it's going to grow sour why because that's not the way true intimacy works when you love like that you're loving like a contract love that there's no covenant love in that and that's the difference between a covenant when it comes when a covenant comes into play which by the way marriages are a covenant is both binding and it's also intimate it's binding because it means that it cannot be broken without there being consequences. But it's also intimate. It's not based on you getting your way, but on you loving the person that you are in that covenant with. And so for God to make a covenant with you, it means he's saying something. He's saying, I'm going to love you when you're unlovable. I'm going to do things for you when you don't deserve it. I'm going to be gracious and patient with you when you become selfish. I am making a, now here's what he said, a new covenant with you. Why is he making a new covenant? You see that there, verse 6? I'm getting ready to make a, a new covenant with you. The old covenant was temporary. In fact, it was very religious in nature. And it only pointed to this new covenant. You, you see what he says in here in verse 5. He says, these priests, they served a copy. Have you, do you ever receive, you know, sometimes you, you go to a store um, a lot of times, uh, in some of your old diners, you, you had to where, where they would take your order, and then when you would go pay, they would pull out the what? You, you know what I'm talking about? They would pull out the copy, and they would give you that, and you would go up to the, to the store clerk, and, and you play. Anybody, am, I, am I just crazy, or anybody else ever seen that before? All right, everybody's seen that. A lot of times, you see carbon copies. You, 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 you fill out the white one, and they, they pull out the, the yellow one or the pink one and give it to you, right? You, you never have a copy unless there's a first and original, right? And that's what he's saying. Hey, the priests in the Old Testament, they served the copy. They served the shadows. You don't have a shadow unless the sun has an object to cast that shadow off of, right? And he's saying there is something else that what they were doing in the Old Testament, that was not the real thing. They, those were copies. Those were shadows of something, of a, another reality 
that is to come. And what Christ is saying, everything in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the laws, the sacrifices, the temple, the sanctuary, all of those things are finding their ultimate fulfillment in me. And I am, the, I am making a new covenant with you. And so here was the question that the author would pose to the Hebrews. If this is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant, why in the world would you go back to the copies? Why would you go back to the shadows when you have the real thing that they were pointing you to in the Old Testament? He came to end all those things. It is a new covenant that he has enacted with us. And notice this. This new covenant, it's not founded on the law. It's founded on grace and forgiveness. You see it in verse 8? Now, in verse 8, he begins to, begins to quote Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34. And notice what he says here in verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. God says, this is not a covenant that you're making with me. This is a covenant that I'm going to make with you. God says, I don't need you to treat, keep trying to get to me. I don't need you to keep uh, coming and offering this sacrifice and that sacrifice. I'm going to come to you, and it's going to cause the death of my son, but I love you enough that I'm willing to go to death to get you. And that's what grace does. Miss Lyndon Charlie, we don't deserve it. He says, I'm going, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, and it's not a covenant that you can make with me. It's a covenant that I'm going to establish with you, and it's going to be the best covenant that can possibly be given because I'm going to give my son for you. And it's a covenant where your sins will be forgiven if you skip down to verse 12. He says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. It's a covenant where... The wrath of God was satisfied on the cross as Jesus gave his life for us. Uh, you, you see, God could not be holy if the penalty for our sins had not been paid. It just wouldn't be right. You think about a judge today. If, if, you know, if, if somebody were to kill somebody that you love, and all the evidence pointed to this guy being guilty, and then you get into the courtroom and the jury finds him guilty, but then the judge looks at him and says, I know you're guilty, but I'm going to set you free. There is not a single one of you that would look at that judge and say, that's a good judge. It's just not good. Crimes have to be punished, and so does your sin. And it was on the cross that our Savior took the punishment that we deserve. It was on the cross where both the justice and the mercy of God we see because he extends that mercy to us. He says, I'll take the punishment for your sin. I died for this punishment for your sin. And if you're willing to accept my gift, you can be forgiven and your sins can be washed away. I heard a story this week, and it just, I don't know if the story is true or not. It was told as it was a true story. But it illustrates this truth perfectly. The story is told of a, of a king that lived during the time of the Vikings. So many years ago. And the story goes that this was a very fair king. Everybody in his kingdom really loved this king. He, he treated everybody in his kingdom with respect. He treated, made sure everybody had what they needed. In fact, he would house people in his, in his king, in his palace, if they needed to be. And it was discovered that somebody was stealing from this king. 
And so he went out and he made a decree, stood before the people, said, Hey, guys, you, you know how good I am to you. you. You know I do everything within my power to take very good care of you guys, but it's not right for you guys to steal from me. In fact, I, I would give it to you if you needed it. So if I find who's stealing from me, you get ten lashes with a whip. The week goes by, somebody still steals from this king. And so he goes out and he makes another decree. Guys, I don't understand. I, I tried to tell you not to do this anymore. And so I'm going to double the punishment. If you get caught stealing from me, you get 20 lashes. Well, guess what happens? Somebody still steals from the king. By this time, the king is not happy. So he goes out. Guys, last warning. I'm doubling it once again. Forty lashes if you get caught stealing from the king. Two days later, they catch the culprit red-handed. But the story goes that it's the king's mother. What does it do? You're the king. You've told everybody, if you get caught stealing from me, here's what the punishment's going to be. But this is your mom. That's a big pickle to be in. So the king says, let me think about it, and I'll give my answer tomorrow. So the next day comes, Miss Linda, and the king comes out. He says, if I'm going to be fair, I'm going to be a good king, then my mama has to accept this punishment. So he gave the order for his own mother to get 40 lashes. And so they take his mama out, and they, they tie her up like they would, like they were getting ready to, to distribute the punishment. And right before, the guy with the whip is about to, 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 to give the first lash the king says, stop. And he goes up. And they think he's getting ready to say his final goodbyes. And he wraps his arms completely around his mama. And says, now hit her. And the guy says, King, I, I can't. If I, if, I hit, if I try to hit her, I'm going to hit you. He said, I'm the king, and I gave you an order. Now hit her. And that king took every blow that his mama deserved. That's what your Savior has done for you. Grace, justice, him taking what you deserve. Now, let me be clear. When you understand that this is how much your Savior loves you, religion is over. You don't come to Him saying, hey, let me do this to help you. You don't come to Him and say, hey, I'm trying to work to earn my salvation. No, you don't do any of that. When you understand just how much He loves you, it causes you 
to fall at his feet in love and adoration and worship of him. So here's what I want to do. Very briefly, I want to close with several ways that this text gives us that, man, if you really, you don't, if you really have a relationship with Christ, these things will be true in your life. I'm, it's the difference between night and day, between having a relationship and a religion. If you have a relationship with Christ, this text says, first of all, that there would be an, there's an inward change that has to happen in your life. And look in verse 10. When God says that he establishes this covenant, this is the covenant I'm going to make with them. He says, I will put my law where? Into their minds. I'm going to write it where? On their hearts. This is something that happens on the inside. This is not some outward conformity to a list of rules and regulations. He says, when I establish this new covenant with you, there is going to be an inward change in your life. Can I tell you something? It is foolish. It is absolutely absurd to think that you can get your life cleaned up and then come and have a relationship with Christ. No, you, you have an inward change. You respond to this love that Jesus has shown for you on the cross where he took the punishment for your sins and you confess your sins to him and there is an inward change that happens in your life that will always be manifest by an outward change of your life. You, the outside does not change first. It always has to happen on the inside first. Secondly, here's the second thing. You become citizens of a greater kingdom. God says at the end of verse 10, do you see it there? He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, we should be good stewards of this earth. We should be good stewards of this world. We should be responsible citizens of our country. But at the end of the day, listen, we should invest more in the kingdom of God where we will spend eternity than this one that is getting ready to pass away. That's what Jesus said. He said, don't, don't lay up your treasures here on earth because moth and rust and, and thieves will break in and, and steal it and the moth and rust will destroy it. He said, so don't lay up your treasures here. And lay up your treasures in heaven where the thieves can't take it away where, where, no, where it's never going to, to decay. Here's a good test for you. You say you have a relationship with Christ, but you can't trust him with your finances? Something's wrong. Religious people. It's religious people, not people who have a relationship. It's, it's religious people who will say, I'll go to church, but don't expect me to give of my time and my money for the cause of Christ. That, that's not a relationship. Hey, we're getting ready to take up, um, uh, we prayed for it earlier this morning, uh, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. It's an, it's an investment in the kingdom of God. We'll pack five shoeboxes this year. We, we do it every year for every member of our family. We'll pack a shoebox. And I'm just going to be honest with you, it gets expensive. It's $7 a box to get it there. That's $35 off the bat. Then you got to buy the stuff to go in for another five boxes. You, you're talking close to $100. We, we just gave something close to that for North Carolina missions offering. We, we realize it's, it, it gets expensive. But here, here's the truth at the end of the day. It is an investment in the kingdom of heaven. It's not anything that we're giving. It is an opportunity to, uh, to, to give back what God has blessed us with. It's an investment. It, it's laying something up for eternity 
that has heavenly rewards with it. Some of, some of you live so much for this world that you would think this is where we spend eternity. And this is not our home. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to go to bed Tuesday night and I'm not going to lose a bit of sleep at whoever wins the presidency. Because this is not my home. I live for something that is far greater than what anything that this world has to offer. And last time I checked, Jesus was still on his throne, and if he's still on his throne, I rest assured that I made that. This world, we're citizens of a greater kingdom. Finally, we focus more on intimacy with our Heavenly Father than a formal religion. You know, you know what religion says? Hey, come to church Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, sing a few songs, hear the sermon, go home. You know what a relationship with Christ is? A relationship with Christ is, hey, I want you to spend time with your Heavenly Father each and every day of your life. I want you to go to church, not because you have to, but because you get to. I want you to get there, and I want you to focus your attention on me. I want you to lift your voice, and I want you to lift your heart, and I want you to lift your mind towards heaven, and I want you to praise me for everything that I've done. And then if you've got trouble in your life, I want you to get at the foot of the cross and I want you to lay your burdens down and I want you to give them to Jesus and I want you to take his yoke upon you because that's easy and you give him your burdens and you leave there realizing that you can take on hell with a water pistol and that everything's going to be okay as you focus on your relationship with Christ. You see, we don't have to go to a high priest to go behind the veil once a year for us to get to God. We have a great high priest in Christ who is seated seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. You see, people under a new covenant relationship with Christ, you're not focused on traditions, you're not focused on formalism, as much as you are making sure you're getting into the presence of God and worshiping Him. That's a relationship. That's what Jesus came to offer. He didn't offer you traditions. He didn't offer you rituals. He offered you himself. He said, come. Just come. Just come. Surrender to me. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, Thank you that I wasn't worthy, but you still came and gave your life for me. Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. The Father, today, we would say no to religion and we would say yes to Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in here, Lord, today they've never surrendered their life to you, Lord, that today they would do it. Maybe their name's on a church roll, Father, but Lord, today they say, I I want the relationship. I'm tired of going through the motions. I want a relationship with Christ. Lord, today, would you save their soul? Lord, I pray for the the people under the sound of my voice that, Father, today, 
Lord, they've asked Jesus to be their Savior, but Lord, they've never followed through in being baptized. Lord, you died for a relationship, and you, Lord, you desire for them to give that public display. That they've died to themselves and been buried their old self and been raised in newness of life. Lord, today, Lord, will they follow through in obedience to that? Lord, have your way during this invitation. Lord, help us to focus on you. Help us to love you and adore you with everything we have. Thank you for being good to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. The Spirit of God is speaking to your life. Would you respond in obedience? Would you come? Save the wretch.